you got your mojo working? Do you just want to give it a good kickstart? Either way, you've come to the right station. The Mojo Radio Show will help you get your mojo working at work and at play. I got my mojo working, but it just won't work on you. Everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Mojo Radio Show. I am back in the seat. I have spent three days in redneck heaven. up at CMC Rocks 2016 in Ipswich, Queensland, with some of the best Southern rock acts from the United States of America. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. I'll tell you what, it was such a good time being up. I'll tell you what, let me tell you, Robbo. Mm-hmm. You know our old radio days, we reckon we went pretty well. Yeah. Would not be a patch on the country boys. <laughs> I can girls. imagine. Yeah, Might I can imagine. they go hard. They're yeah. camping on site. It's dawn till dusk. Redneck heaven, I tell you what, it was. Well done to Tim Daly, Rob Potts. Chuggy was there. Chuggy brought all the artists across. Nice. Michael Chug. It was just, I gotta say, country music in this, in this, in, this, in Australia. Mm. Every Southern rock artist that played from Jason Aldean, Florida Georgia Line, Chase Rice, Kip Moore, Bradley, Brantley Gilbert, who was just killer. They all raved about audience. So uh, to all my friends up there at uh, CMC Rocks and the boys at um, CMC at Foxtel, thanks for having me. Awesome time. Uh, but enough about that. How are you, mate? You're such a redneck. <laughs> oh, I'm so good. <laughs> and hello to all my friends at Foxtel. Thanks for the work and um, I'll see you later this week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, we've got a great show ahead of us. Yeah. It's an inter- international. Or mm. In fact, as the French say, international. International. International yeah. show uh, today with a flavour from the UK to uh, You're Right. Um, to kick us off, uh, anything out of the uh, out of the bag? You got? Yeah, I've got a bit of a warning this week. A bit of a warning, warning, Will Robinson. Dr. Charlie Teo, who's a mate of yours, I think. He I is, one of the best yeah. neurosurgeons in the world. Yeah, yes, good absolutely. Brain and much maligned by the Australian surgical uh, community, which was probably something we'll talk about at another stage in this show. Um, but Charlie's spoken at a, uh, at a fundraiser in Melbourne uh, on brain cancer and some of its potential causes. And, um, and that's actually come out with a bit of a warning. He, he started off by talking about the fact that the US government has um, already recommended that electronic devices like your electric blanket get turned off before you go to sleep. But Charlie's also chimed in with a couple of recommendations of his own. One of them is one we, we all probably know about, which is that we should probably be using our phone on speaker. But the most important one, an interesting one to me, and one that he really felt was uh, the most, one of the most important ones, is that you know when your microwave finishes and it chimes five times, or you yep. know it makes those chimes. Well, his recommendation is that you should actually wait for those chimes because what that actually means is that all the microwaves have actually been cleared from the chamber. So when oh, you right. open the door, you're not getting sprayed in your face, which probably makes a lot of sense. Did not know that. Yeah. Well, another one that surprised me. Is um, he also said that some hair dyes, particularly red, can also cause brain cancer in people who have a predisposition to the disease. So yeah, all you want to be redheads out there, <laughs> take it easy. <laughs> For those who are, those are lucky enough to have hair. Yeah, that's um, right. I was going to say. Do you know it's it's one of the things? It's a good story, Robbo. But I just had to add to this. Just um, I think the important thing with the Mojo Radio Show is that you and I always make sure that the people we talk to have got credibility. We add value. We don't waffle. We don't have any advertising or sponsors. Like it's, mm. it's just stuff that people believe in. They're good at. That makes us better in and out of our workplace. Yeah. The reason I say that is because I interviewed Charlie for a book that I wrote, uh, I co-wrote actually, um, with a guy called Marty Wilson, and we wrote. It was called 
what I wish you knew about cancer. And mm. when I interviewed Charlie, I said to him, mate, what do, you, what, what do you wish people knew about cancer? And he slapped the desk and leaned forward and said, I'll tell you what people should know about cancer. He said, phones and electronic devices like that are giving us brain cancer. Yeah, and right. he said, it's, it hasn't been shown yet. He said, every time we, we try to prove it, it gets, it gets, he said, but trust me, in time it's going to prove itself. Mm. He talked about how much time we have our phone up to our ear or within close proximity of our, of our bodies. He talked about sleeping with the phone right next to your head. And his advice was put your mobile phone on the other side of the room to get away from you and so on. So mm. the stuff he's talking about, it's not just him in a, in a newspaper article. That's something he truly believes in. I've interviewed him a number of times, had long conversations with him actually even doing the rounds of people who've gone through brain surgery mm. and he's told me time and time again this is his firm belief and for a guy who has his hands inside people's brains every day trying to save yeah. lives yeah um i think he's closer to it than most of us and i yes. must admit i i heed the warning i do not put the phone onto my ear i always have head earphone buds in mm. my phone is on the other side of the room i don't sleep with anything around my head uh, if I had hair, I would be very conscious <laughs> of the shampoo and conditioner. It's you. Uh, yeah. But he's a good guy, and folks, I would take warning because I know a guy that I know very, very well, and he had a tumour in his right ear and has now lost his hearing in his right ear, and he mm. had Charlie operate to save his life. Before that guy was diagnosed with a tumour, every single time I met with that guy, I had coffee with him, he was always walking up to the coffee shop with the phone up to his ear mm. and he'd make me wait for five minutes while he finished off a conversation. Yeah. And he'll admit, you know, he believes it was a, con a contributor to yep. him getting a tumour in his ear. So yep. uh, good warning, good story. Absolutely. Well, um, let me ask you one question, though. If Charlie's such a good mate, how come we haven't had him on the show yet? <laughs> oh, that's, a, that's a nasty turn right yeah, there, isn't it? Come on. No, <laughs> I'd I, love to have a chat to Charlie. True. I am going to uh, I'll get on to his PA, who I know very well today. I will send out an SOS for him to get on the show. The only reason, I guess, I, I just feel, sometimes I feel funny about with Charlie because um, invariably when I try to get a hold of him for a, you know, to catch up for a, a glass of water because he's drink tea or coffee or anything wow. like that. Wow. Whenever I try and catch up with him, he is somewhere internationally saving lives. And yeah, uh, so it's just one of those things where you don't kind of want to interrupt his day. But I think his message is so profound off the back of this. Mm. Um, and I'll just tell him that Robbo said. So. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> Robbo said, where are you? <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll get on him today. Sweet. Getting your mojo working. This is the Mojo Radio Show. Speaking of people with great integrity and great minds, we've got one of those on the show today. We do. We, um, we like to talk to people about their mojo in and out of the workplace. And, it, and mojo can present itself in all sorts of different ways. And... One thing that came to mind for me uh, was a guy that I met some time ago. In fact, I did a number of speaking jobs with him. His name is Philip Hesketh. And mm. I knew him, by, it's really interesting, Robert. I knew him by reputation before I met him. And the reputation was that he was an amazing storyteller and he threaded these incredible stories through his speech. So mm. we ended up doing a couple of gigs together. And I must admit, I just sat there with my mouth open just going, how good is this guy? His topic, though, is probably the reasons I'm most intrigued by him because he's an expert in persuasion and influence. Mm. And he is used all over the world by some of the best sales teams to help them get better. And he, <laughs> he's, he basically works with professionals to help you get better relationships with your customers and clients, mm. sell better, 
uh, be more profitable, more successful, all through persuasion and influence. And uh, we have him on the line. He's actually touring Australia right now on a speaking tour. So, Philip Hesketh, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show, mate. Good to be with you. Good to chat with you. Or should I say, Philip, I probably should say, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show, all right? All right? Because you are an Englishman, aren't you? (laughs) I am an Englishman. Yeah, the accent maybe gives it away a little bit. But we we have caught Philip in Australia doing a tour right now. To put us in the picture, Philip, for those people who may not be familiar with you and your work, can you just give us some background of kind of what you're doing on a day-to-day basis and the sorts of people or companies you'd be doing it for? Yeah. Uh, Well, first of all, I'm a full-time professional speaker. Don't really do anything else. I don't do... um, one-to-ones, don't do consultancy, full-time professional speaker. And, and there's two groups, two types of people I work with. One is um, solicitors, uh, accountants, architects, engineers. I could go on. People who are technically very well qualified, but need to know more about how to persuade and influence, how to build up relationships, how to close a sale, although quite often that's not an expression they want to use. Yeah. So that's the first group of people. And the second group of people are people in sales. And that could be uh, estate agents or people selling technical aluminium products. Uh, So those are the two groups of people. And and in essence, what I do is help them formulate their words in the right kind of way so that A, they improve their relationships, B, they increase the sales, and C, they charge more money. It's an interesting place to start for us, Philip. Is there a difference between influence and persuasion? Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, if, for example, anybody listening to this, if you say to yourself, did you ever go home and say, hey, guess what I've been persuaded to do? Or do you ever go home and say, guess what I've been sold today? Uh, people don't do that because people don't want to be persuaded. I think persuasion is something you do to someone. And you can be persuaded, but you're not usually happy about, about it. Influence is something that you have where you feel that you are free to choose. And I think one of the single most persuasive things you can ever say to anybody is, you are free to choose. Or, this might not be right for you, but um, it gives people the feeling that they're choosing. You talk about one of your topics is what really motivates people to buy. Is that a key to it? Philip, is that, is that part of what really gets people to make a decision? Yeah, it's interesting. Look, quite often I say in seminars, uh, people buy for their reasons, not yours. And it, it really kind of rings a bell for most people that um, salesmen quite often turn features into benefits. And it just doesn't work if they're not relevant benefits. So, you know, I, I tell one particular story of going to road test a car and this is a sports car and this guy was turning features into benefits of how fast he went and what the brake horsepower did. And it's just not relevant to me because what's important to me is having a big boot because I play golf and I need two sets of golf clubs to go in the back of it and so on. So people buy for their reasons, not yours. So it's finding out what motivates people, not how to motivate people. If, if you motivate idiots, they do stupid things quicker. You've got to be careful. Gee, <laughs> Robbo, we're, uh, we're three minutes into this. He's dropped some gold already. I know already. It's paying for itself, right? <laughs> <laughs> we, we do 30, like these Englishmen. 37 to go. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Ticking. I'm watching the clock. <laughs> <laughs> Philip, tell me, I, I love that. I, I do actually think that's gold. People buy for their reasons, not yours. Mm. I, I think that is, that is just so simplistic but so powerful. How do I make it easier 
for people to make a decision to buy from me. I've got a whether I'm an estate agent, yeah. whether I'm an accountancy firm, what what are the steps or the thinking required? Well, let's take estate agents, for example. It's a good example, Danny. Um, the, the key thing in choosing uh, an estate agent, most people will typically look at about three estate agents. And most people, it's a pretty rare occasion to buy. So you only buy every few years, perhaps even only every 10, 20 years. So most people see estate agents as being pretty much one and the same. They all have um, nice offices with people sat at desks and photographs in the front of the window with the photograph of the house and so on. So they're all seen pretty much the same. So the key thing for the estate agent is to first of all ask the absolute number one killer question. And if you think anything's gold dust, for me, this is, this is pure gold. And the number one question is, what is the most important thing to you about selling your house? And, and find out, well, is speed the essence or I, I must get $600,000 or else otherwise I can't move. Uh, I need to sell um, because this won't happen if that doesn't happen, etc. So you get to know the full story. So if you're a lawyer, um, you say to someone, what is the most important thing to you about the divorce? What's the most important thing to you about this contract? Um, and that starts the conversation off by finding out what motivates the other person. So I say that's question number one. What's the most important thing to you about? That's gold. More gold. We, we talk about a lot on the show, Phil, about people lacking curiosity. And yeah. what you're really giving here is some structure for a person who would like to influence someone. You're giving them some structure in terms of questions to go through in their mind then and to ask to unlock possibilities, aren't you? Absolutely. In fact, if you want a, not quite a foolproof system, Gary, but a a procedure to pretty much guarantee you'll improve uh, sales. You won't guarantee to get a sale every time with this, but just uh, the procedure it's always ask the question, what's the most important thing to you about? And also ask questions around that. So how important is that exactly? And uh, on a scale of one to 10, what would happen if it didn't happen? And so on. So what's the most important thing to you about? And then secondly, what are your expectations? So what are your expectations of our service? What are your expectations of this product? Um, I'll give you an example from this morning. I, I hired a car in Sydney. Uh, from Hertz. Uh, I always use Hertz simply because when I go to any airport, I know I can remember where who I've booked with rather than, you know, move around. <laughs> so I'm a pretty loyal customer. <clears throat> I spend a quarter of a year in, in rental cars and it's always with Hertz. So I turn up uh, four weeks ago and there's a hole in the seat and there's knocks and bashes and bruises in this car and <sighs> my expectation is more than that. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with the car and it's okay, but I was never really satisfied. And when I dropped the car off at the airport the day before yesterday, I call it the moment that matters. In car rental, Hertz and Avis and Europe Car and all the others, as far as I'm concerned, you can go online and book a car. The cars are the same. Pretty much everything's the same. The moment that matters is when you pick the car up, which typically lasts about three or four minutes, and when you drop the car off, which typically lasts about two minutes. And... Dropping the car off, it's it's just perfunctory. The guy is just, yeah, okay, another car, okay, no problems, okay, thanks, bye. And he just prints off a receipt. If he just asks me some questions, 
uh, and allow me to get a little bit of frustration off my chest because my expectations weren't met on this occasion. And if they're not careful, hurts or whoever it is, just lose my business just because I call it expectations and standards. If you're a hotel or um, a car hire, you've got standards and I have expectations. If my expectations are higher than your standards, I'm not going to come back. So you have to find out what my expectations are. This fascinates me, Philip. I, let, let's stick on hire car as an example. And this could apply to any business. Mm-hmm. So anybody listening shouldn't go, oh, but that's, that's hire cars. It's different for us. I saw a document recently that said that when companies were interviewed, a wide range of companies, 80% of them said they had great customer service. Mm-hmm. Yet when they spoke to the customers less than 20% said they did. Yeah. And yeah. This, yeah. this document said no one ever sits in a meeting and goes, our customer service is crap. What are we going to do to fix it? Everybody thinks their customer service is great. Now, I had mm-hmm. a hire car, a rental car company, exactly the same thing. I was driving around Melbourne. I went in and I kid you not, from that moment I got the car and the moment I drove it back, I felt worse than I did when I walked in. I had quite a nice flight. I walked in. I wanted to stab myself with some blunt glass. It was just such a mojo-sucking experience. I felt like a criminal, but I'm going to give them money Mm -hmm. and stuff. My question is, why the heck is this happening? Why, if we know this is true, no one can walk out of those companies going, that was a fabulous experience, I loved it, and I'm going to go home and tell everybody I know how good this company is. If that's the case, Philip, in your experience, why aren't we doing something about this? Yeah, I think there's two reasons. Uh, one is we don't care, or rather we don't care enough, um, or uh, so and or it's that the people who can make the decisions at the board, the MD, the marketing director, whatever it might be, don't actually spend enough time at the coal face and don't get to ask Ordinary people like you and I hire cars, what we think and what our expectations are. So they've got their standards and this is what we do, but don't you realize our expectations have increased now? One of the interesting things that's happened over the last 10, 15 years, because of everything from email, YouTube, Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, LinkedIn, etc., what's happened is now we expect everything a little quicker. And I'll give you another example. If 10 years ago you went to look at a car, you would on average look at seven car showrooms. You'd physically visit seven car showrooms 10 years ago. And the most important thing in the purchase was the test drive. Now, if you are typical, you go to 1.7 car showrooms. And the most important thing is the iPad, not computer, the iPad. And... Mrs. Hesketh, it was decreed last summer would uh, have a new car. And uh, I said, do you want me to join you on this? Yeah, yeah, sure, great. I'd love to. You'd come along. Well, this is gold dust for me, isn't it? I'm going to hike round. <laughs> and she said, she's not some of these terribly interesting cars. And she said, I've been on my iPad and I've looked at the walk car videos. And this, wow, done all the research. And the car sales guys now are still doing the same things, many of them, that they were 10 years ago. We've all moved on. Everything's moved on. Our expectations have increased. And whether it's hotels or car hire or whatever it is, we expect better service. Here's an interesting piece of, I don't know what I'm doing research, Gary, but um, 
in seminars all over the world, I say to people, if you're a client or a potential client and you phone a professional company, a, a lawyer, an accountant, anybody of that nature, and you have a query, how long do you give them before they get back to you? That's not necessarily with the answer, but how long do you give them in your head before you feel it's reasonable for them to respond? And everybody gives two answers. Everybody says, well, within the same day, they expect a response of some sort within the same day, even if it's just, I'm on the case, I'm busy, I'll get back to you, just some sort of response. And an absolute maximum 24 hours. And most professional services don't do that. I've seen you talk about this from the other side of the fence um, when you were uh, working for an advertising agency. I've heard you talk about the 10 before 10 on Tuesday. Can you give us a bit of an insight yeah. into that? Yeah, sure. Um, I think it's probably the most valuable thing that I've ever did in business. Uh, it's it's alongside what's the most important thing to you about. I think it made more money than anything else. This. Um, let me tell you why, first of all, I started doing it. Um, my business went from naught to $100 million, and it was successful. It made money every year. But we were bleeding clients. And by that, what I mean is we weren't. Uh, clients weren't phoning up saying they were livid with the service and they're furious and obviously you do get one or two, but it wasn't that. They were just kind of drifting away. By the time as managing partner, I got to know about that. It's all too late. So I decided to take my own medicine, which is all you need to know about time management, in my view, is allocate time for things that are important but not urgent. Because if you don't do that, things become important and urgent. And then you throw money at them and it's all a bit of a mess. So I started... I chose Tuesday morning because it was as good a day as any. And I said, I'm going to phone 10 clients before 10 o'clock every Tuesday morning with no agenda, nothing to sell other than this killer question. Is there any aspect of our service we could improve on? And almost always the conversation went like this. Hi, Graham. Hi, Phil. Uh, how are you? Yeah, great. Thanks. How are you, fella? And even the tone was, I haven't heard from you for a while, Phil. That's not good, is it? Mm. And then we'd <laughs> exchange pleasantries and I'd say, is there any aspect of our service we could improve on? And the, the next sentence usually began with, well. So, is there any aspect of our service we could improve on? Well, to be honest, there's a, ah. And then I found out the thing that, was just the very beginning of a problem, very beginning of a breakaway. And often it was about a relationship and somebody had said something, somebody had got a little bit upset, and I could put it right. Mm. Mm. And I think that made more money than anything else. Yeah. So that's 10 before 10 on Tuesday. Make 10 phone calls to your clients before 10 o'clock every Tuesday and not for its own sake. Yeah, and I think the important thing here is that that was in your diary every week, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If a business wants to build trust today, what's the one thing that you believe they must do immediately? It's, it's, it's so difficult to say w one thing. Um, can, I, can I be really greedy now for? I'll give you the priority. <laughs> but I think, I think, first of all, in fact, there's a guy called Professor Adrian Furnham. He's professor of psychology, University College London. And he's done, uh, he has 26 PhD students and he's done this research on trust from a biased perspective. So why do you trust the salesperson? Why do you trust the business that you're with? And the, the most important thing, so this is the one thing, this is it, is honesty. And we were having breakfast 
in Portugal of all places. We were both speaking of the National Bed Federation. <laughs> I remember it well. <laughs> and um, we were having breakfast and he was telling me about this research. And I said, honestly, I said, Adrian, that's so obvious. And he said, yeah, Phil, but you've got to have very similitude. I said, whoa. I said, what's that? He said, that's the appearance of honesty. So it's not enough to be honest. You know, anybody listening to this can think of occasions where they've been saying someone, I'm being really honest with you now. And the other person saying, I don't believe you. <laughs> and it's because you don't have very similitude. So number one is honesty. You've got to be honest. Number two is you've got to be reliable. Do you do what you say you're going to do every time? If you say you're going to phone someone back on Friday and you don't phone them back on Friday, then the client can only assume you forgot, you're lazy, or you had something more important to do. There aren't any other reasons. So number one, honesty. Number two, are you reliable? Do you do what you say you're going to do? Number three, are you any good? And it's interesting, that's deliberately number three, because if you're not honest and you're not reliable, it doesn't matter if you're any good or not. It doesn't matter whether you're competent, because if I don't think you're honest and I don't think you're going to do what you say you're going to do, it doesn't matter how good you are. But the, the fourth thing, which is why I'm being a little greedy in having four, is do you care? Do, do you have a low self-interest? Will, will you only ever do things because you make money? Or sometimes will you just do something because it's the right thing. And uh, my business was called Advertising Principles. And the, the principle was, we advise our clients totally regardless of the commercial consequences to ourselves. And that wasn't because it was a little teddy bear's picnic, picnic and all fluffy and uh, isn't it wonderful that we'll just advise clients even if we don't make any money. It's because A, I could rest easier in my bed and B, the money came back anyway. Just, have, just have, if, if it's the right thing to do, to say we are not right for you, then be honest and say it, then people will trust you. Tell me your beliefs in the art of great conversations. Rob and I talk about this, that we, 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 we say that people aren't having great conversations anymore. They're just sitting there exchanging statements, waiting for their turn to talk. Mm. And I'd yeah. be curious to hear your, your beliefs or your tips or tools about having really great conversations. It's my view, and it's not just my view, this, Gary, but um, you can go back to Aristotle and Socrates and Plato, if you like, um, that the way we communicate best is through analogy. Um, so when I tell a story about, um, I don't know, about car rental, um, people understand the fact it's not about car rental. It's actually about the principles of what we're talking about. I talk about a bad service in a hotel. You talk about your experience in Melbourne and so on. Um, I, I can tell a story about one of my kids buying a car or whatever it might be. People get engaged in the story because they understand the story. And then they make the link between, ah, yeah, what you're really saying is I need to improve my customer service because... And you can go right back to Aesop's fables and stories in the Bible, stories connect with people. I mean, why do we go to the movies? I mean, uh, uh, the Oscars revenants um, uh, through to 12 years, 12 years as a slave and the Hurt Locker. All, look at all the Oscar winning movies of the last decade, in fact, all 90 of them. They're all about a story. And we're engaged when we're listening to a story and the story is almost always the hero or heroine 
and how they go through adversity and come out the other end. And there's either a sad ending, Romeo and Juliet, a happy ending, which is uh, mainly what happens, and a Woody Allen ending where you wonder what the devil's gone on. <laughs> but we like stories. We're engaged by stories. So that's why I tell stories and then make a point about the story. It's half time on the Mojo Show. And time to pause for a cause. Hey guys, my name is Soren Molino from Smile Clothing. Uh, we're a one-for-one one company based in between Australia and Indonesia. For every garment we sell, we donate a school uniform or a t-shirt to a child in need. Please feel free to check us out online at www.smileclothing.co or through any other channel you can find on the internet. Thanks very much. The Mojo Radio Show. If, if there's somebody about to walk into a presentation today. They've got a customer or client waiting for them. They've got 10 minutes to go before they go into the meeting. Do you have a ritual or a process that you would suggest they go through to get in readiness for that presentation or meeting? Absolutely for sure. And the process is a pretty straightforward one. Number one question, if you can't remember anything else and you're a bit last minute and you're a little late and you're kind of rushing, Fastening your tie if you're going to the meeting, just say, what's the purpose of the meeting? What's the purpose? I, I sat in too many meetings at work where I began to look around thinking, what's the, what's the purpose of this? And I think I've been here for half an hour and nothing's happened because everybody's kind of moving around the edges. So I said, hang on, what's the purpose of this meeting exactly? And what do you want from me? Well, we want 10,000 pounds, Phil, or 20,000. All right, okay, that's the purpose, okay. Now, can we get to it then? So you cut down on things. Because if anybody ever says, oh, what's the purpose of the meeting? They'll say, oh, it's just a bit of a catch-up. I say, don't bother. It should be a bit better than that. And so number one is what's the purpose? Number two is what action do you want the other person to take as a result of this meeting? Now, it can just be I want them to be reassured that we're on the right path. That's okay. It could be, I want them to agree to let us pitch for the account. Could be, I want them just to agree to another meeting. Could be, I want them to agree to go and to speak to so-and-so about this. So purpose and action. What's the purpose? What action? And if you don't know those two things, Gary, you're probably going to have a wasteful meeting. It's so simple, but it's just so powerful. Philip, I just love that thought because I, I got to admit, I sit in those meetings and they're going nowhere and they're just wasting time. Mm-hmm. And the worst one is that everyone allocates an hour for meeting in their ICAL. So it's never 47 minutes or until a job's done, it's always an hour. And when they get to 47 minutes and you're all done, they'll sit there and just fill in time till their ICAL comes up, they move on to their next meeting. And I'm sure they've walked, yeah. in, with no pur- they've walked in with no purpose in mind. I think it's, uh, it's cold. Yeah. Um, but I'll give you another example as well, because sometimes yeah. you can avoid meetings. So, uh, Often people will say to me, somebody's secretary will phone me up and say, you're speaking at our conference uh, next June on June 16th and managing director would like to meet you. Okay, great. I said, I don't disagree with the idea of a meeting. I like meeting people. I always say, what will be the purpose of the meeting exactly? And the word exactly is important, Gary. What will be the purpose of the meeting exactly? And the secretary often says, well, he'd like to meet you. Yeah, okay, but what will be the purpose of the meeting exactly? Well, he wants to brief you on us as a company. Well, I'm on your website now, so I know you do. So what would be the purpose of the meeting exactly? And eventually, is there anything we can't do on the phone? And often I can save myself a two-hour drive 
And a two-hour meeting, a two-hour drive back, incidentally, for a brief that talk that'll last 35 minutes, just by saying, what's the purpose of the meeting? I'm not suggesting we don't have meetings. Sometimes I've been in meetings that have lasted four hours, and my goodness me, it's been worth it. Because we've created something we would never have created on the phone. And you can read body language signals and you can get people together and all sorts of benefits of a meeting. But don't just assume, A, like say it's in the iCal for an hour, so it'll take an hour, but know your purpose. Let's just rewind a second, Philip, um, and get back to the killer question, which I, 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 I'm, mm. on, I'm on board with everything you said, I think is, is just, um, as, as, as you've said, gold dust. Um, so I'm loving that. If... This executive has finished a big day of work, done all the right things, written all the business they want to write. They get home, they're about to walk in the front door and inside are their kids. Is there a killer question you provide to a mum or a dad who's getting home that helps build that mojo between family leader, like mum or dad, and the kids? Like, what's the killer question for kids? First of all, um, there's a, a mode, I think. Um, I often say to people that the most, one of the most persuasive things to say to anybody is, you have my full, complete, and total undivided attention. It's just a wonderful thing to say to anybody. And I know from my experience, when I get home and my, when my kids were small, they don't want to know about my day. They don't want to know if I'll have a good day or a bad day. They just want me to play ball. They want me to romp around with them. And I think there's, for all of us, particularly with small children, you close the car door, and in between closing the car door and opening your door, you just got to put yourself in the mind frame of they have my full, complete, and total undivided attention. They do want not, do not want to know about my day. Um, so... Always clearly start with simple things, you know, how's your day? But a great question, in fact, someone if I had a, um, an email back from somebody this morning who saw me speak in Sydney last week, and he said, I use the question, what's the most important thing to you with my five-year-old? And he, what's the most important thing to you about me being your daddy? And he said he thought about it and he said, you buy me things and you let me do, you let me do things that mummy won't let me do. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's a good start for a dad. Absolutely. Think? I think that's a great place to come from. Absolutely. This is wonderful. Yeah. Uh, but that, that we, uh, we interviewed just recently uh, a guy who's called the indie spiritualist, a guy called Chris Grosso, Philip, and he... Um, He's from Ottawa in Canada, and he came from a very dark, dark past, and he's now teaching people about mindfulness and being present and taking some of the lessons he's learned out of that darkness into today. And I asked him a similar question about ensuring that we are with our children and being by their side so they end up down this bad road and end up this dark place. And he said the most profound thing for him was being with your children and inquiring about their dreams and being curious about their dreams and having them explain in full their dreams. And I, I think if you take what Chris talked about with the whole premise of you have my full and undivided attention, I think that just is the most beautiful platform to build a true relationship with your children. And you, 
almost always as a, as a mother or a father, you're not faking that, are you? You know, I, I, whenever I say to anybody, I do all the time, what's the most important thing in your life? They pretty much always say family. Robbo and I often refer to movie star and, and martial artist Bruce Lee, who once said, it's not the daily increase, but the daily decrease. Hack away at the unessentials. What's something that Philip Hesketh has hacked? What's an unessential you've hacked away at recently or eliminated from your world, say, in the last year or so that's had a profound effect on your mojo in or out of work? To remove something that's unessential? What a great question. Um, what I endeavour to do is get the balance right between working... I like working, I like presenting, I like doing research, I like doing this, lots of stuff I like doing. Get the balance right between that and rest and relaxation. So each year I say to myself, what can I eliminate? What's the bit that I could eliminate? So one of the things is a decision to travel on my terms rather than someone else's. So... For example, I'm, I've got a, a week coming up in May where I have to be in Milan one day and then London another day and then Oslo. And I'm saying to myself, I need to be paid the right sort of money to compensate for that. Uh, if somebody then wants me to go to Edinburgh the next day, I'll just say no. Um, if people ask me to speak in Australia, in fact, I was asked last week, can you speak at our conference in Australia in November? I said, no, I'm sorry, I can't. Aren't you going to look at your diary? No, no, I'm not coming in November. I, I don't want to come all this way just for a few days, just for the money. I'm trying to eliminate unnecessary travel. I think that's the, the one thing, a selfish thing, the one thing that I've been into, able to eliminate uh, Say to yourself, you know, do I really need to do all that? I don't actually need to do some unnecessary travel. I don't want to go to Lithuania just for the sake of it. You, as a speaker, you stand, let's just go down that track. As a speaker, you stand in front of a lot of people around the world on a daily or weekly basis. And you've spoken in your notes about note-taking What's your view on people being in an audience to maximise their learning? What's your view on, say, taking notes on an iPad versus traditional pen and paper? Yeah, well, for the two things. First of all, there's an academic called Linda Stoner, and she studied um, people who um, consistently look at their iPhones and their iPads and the Blackberries during a conference and people who just put them to one side for a few hours. And there's absolutely no doubt whatsoever with a loud clanging bell, you learn more when you're not in what she calls continuous partial attention. You will learn a lot more if you just put the phone down for 90 minutes. <coughs> Ideally, put it down for all day, but uh, you learn far more if you just don't look at Facebook and don't look at LinkedIn or whatever it is every you know, five, 10, 15 minutes. That's the first thing. The second thing is a lot of research has been done on whether it makes any difference to making notes on an iPad or any kind of electronic device or handwrite. And there's no doubt you're better off making handwritten notes. And it seems to be because when you make handwritten notes, there's more of a process goes on in your brain. 
And you can draw a little star against something. You can make something bigger or smaller. You, you, you can draw a drum, whatever. It's something that means something to you. So that when you go back and look at those notes, you can recall more. And what I do, uh, Gary, is every gig I ever do that's on a whiteboard, uh, which is probably 30, 40% of what I do, I photograph the whiteboard. In fact, the day of inspiration when we were in Sydney together, there was a guy who did a superb yes. montage of everybody's talk, and I photographed that. I go back and look at that, and my mind is a lot clearer about what I can remember than if I just take notes on an iPad. And what I do now, when, when, I make, when a, a client briefs me, I handwrite all my notes. I then photograph it with my camera, with my phone, put it into my notes so that six months down the line, I just glance at that. I think, oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, oh, yes, of course, that was the most important thing. And so on. So without a shadow of a doubt, handwritten notes. Just on that bit, Philip, when you are photographing, how are you logging or tagging that? Do you use a specific app to be able to keep track of all your interviews and materials? Uh, no, I just have a pretty old-fashioned system that within Dropbox, I have talks, and every talk that I've ever done, I have, um, it starts with talk, you know, day of inspiration, Sydney, yep. date, etc. Yep. If it, you know, talk, tech 66, tech 103, second time, etc. And then yep. within that, I have all the, I have a dictaphone as well. Um, so I dictate as soon as I come out every gig, I dictate, I just spill everything and anything I can remember what happened, who I met, what I said, anything that, you know, anything bizarre, whatever it might be. And that's typed up for me by a lady who does this. She emails it to me and I just put it straight into the notes. So, in fact, I've got a gig coming up tomorrow in Adelaide. And the last time I spoke to them was 2010, six years ago. So I went straight into my notes, okay, and, and I was able to email the client and say, yeah, last time what I covered was, and he emailed back saying, wow, what a memory. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, that's nice. Email. So, so I, don't, I don't use an app. Probably there are apps, I don't know. It kind of works for me. That system yeah. works for me, and all 1,000-plus gigs I've done, I've got a note on everyone, and it's in Dropbox, so I'll never lose it. Wow, it's a good plan. Hmm. My 12-year-old son just started year seven this year, Philip, and he, um, he, was being, he was becoming overwhelmed with the homework that he was being given in terms of remembering exactly what the assignment was and sort of finding that he was struggling getting, to get it all written down. So he actually does a similar thing. He actually photographs the chalkboard now and brings that yeah. home with him and, and, yeah. and then writes into his diary from there. So, um, so yeah, it sort of has a, a, applications across all age groups, doesn't it, yeah. really? And I, it, what I'm going to say is a bit obvious in the year... And, and the era in which we live now. But everybody I know has a phone, not only with them, it's with them at all times in their pocket. Just, it's just so easy to photograph a board. Yeah, mm. yeah. Mm. Any meeting that you're ever at, um, so yeah, and what I would strongly suggest, it's a small thing, but it makes a difference, is if you're in a meeting with colleagues, you've got a whiteboard, you've all made lots of notes, make sure you put the date on the whiteboard before you photograph it. So there's no confusion about when it was. Philip, I've heard you say somewhere recently uh, that if there was one person in the world that you'd love to have a conversation with at the moment, it's Donald Trump. And I'm interested to know what you think your opening question might be. I think that, tell me about your core values and why you want to do what you want to do. 
What is it that, quote, motivates you? What is it that gets you up in the morning? What is it that drives you? I've asked it of a lot of famous people and people who've achieved a lot, and it usually comes down to it's almost like it's not their fault. It's almost like they've got an engine and they're driven from within. It's such such a powerful thing because uh, I, like a lot of people, don't enjoy going to events and parties and social gatherings. But that's another powerful way to turn the conversation on to the other person and mm. such an interesting way to get inside their spirit as opposed to what do you do? Yeah. I mean, I went to a cook, my wife and I went to a cookery school in Adelaide yesterday. Uh, very enjoyable it was too. And there's like 20 people and you've only got four or five hours together. So you need to um, get to know people quickly. So I always say, well, what, was, what was the key driver in you wanting to come to a cooking school? So it moves on from where do you live and did you come by car or whatever? You know, what's your, what was your key driver? And also, it's like, just give me one thing. Like if somebody's been on holiday, don't say how was your holiday. Say, um, what was the highlight? It kind of forces them to give you something tangible. Philip, I've always loved your material. I really enjoy hearing you tell stories. Is there a, is there a time of the day that you've created as a ritual or is there a process you go through to do deep thinking? Because I've been reading a lot and thinking a lot about how people typically are being very reactive through the day and it's what they call shallow thinking. We're just getting stuff done that doesn't need a lot of thought. We're just taking care of business. But you, you do seem like a guy who sets aside time to think through things and find the angles and you're curious is there a process that you have that Philip Hesketh has to do this, what they call deep work or deep thinking, where you can just drill into one thing with no distractions? Uh, yes. I, I think there's two parts to it. We each of us are, have our own circadian rhythm, you know, times at which we're best, morning, afternoon, evening. I'm personally at my best in the morning. So um, I'm not proud of that or ashamed of that. It's just kind of how it is. I've learned that I'm best in the morning. So... What I endeavor to do is I wake up and whatever the most important task is, I do that in the first hour or two. In terms of that deep thinking, I go for a walk in the countryside. And again, this isn't my idea. It's come from research that I've read about, you know, if you want some new ideas, read some old books. We don't read enough history books, but if you want to have some deep thinking. You've got to allocate time to do it. It won't happen sat at your desk. It won't happen in a normal environment. It'll only happen when you change your environment. So um, I, I've tried cycling, but it didn't really work for me. And might work for, for you. I know you're into that. Um, what works for me is walking. And um, often walking with a, a fellow speaker or my wife or my kids um, three, four, five mile walk and make some notes as well. And you come out of him thinking, yeah, but what was the purpose? Yeah, the purpose is to find a new word in us. And each year, as I say, I do this kind of, what can I eliminate this year that I don't like? What's the sort of, what's the thing that I don't have to do that's necessary? And you keep doing that. And sometimes you need to go for a walk before you realize. Mm. Philip, this has been terrific, mate. I've got a page. In fact, it was interesting. I found myself writing so much when you paused, I had to go back and try and find myself in what I was going to ask you next because I was taking <laughs> copious notes of what you're saying. And I love 
the simplicity of it. I love the clarity of it. I love the power of it. And, uh, and I think also you're the first guest in the history of the Mojo Radio Show where we've gone beyond gold into gold dust. Would that be right, Robert? Yeah, I think so, definitely. But we haven't asked the one important question yet, though. I think he's sufficiently warmed up. I think, think he's so? ready for it. Do you think I, we've, I, I, think we've I come a, far I've enough? I've got a hallucination. Philip, <laughs> <laughs> so this, is, this is the all-important question that gets asked to all our guests. You, um, you're on your way to give a big presentation. You've woken up that morning and your mojo isn't quite pumping. It hasn't quite got you to a point where you feel like you're ready to walk on stage. Is there a, a song that you might put on your iPod or in the, in the hire car on the way to the venue that would sufficiently pump your mojo to get you ready to walk on stage? Uh, can I have two answers? Of course you can. You had four <laughs> earlier. You can have two. <laughs> the, first, the first question is, what's the purpose of your question? <laughs> <laughs> well, I can answer that one. The purpose of my question is that I'm just a, uh, an old rock and roll head and I love finding out what <laughs> what sort of music gets other people going. Curious, yeah. Yeah. You'll think it's an odd choice. Lady Jane by Rod Stewart. <laughs> but there's nothing odd about that. Oh, Brown Sugar, Rolling Stones. Oh, there you go. Now he's he's showing your age, mate. Yeah, he's talking my language, though. Hey? <laughs> <laughs> Very I nice wish, I wish I could have something by Justin Bieber and a bit more up to date, but that's no. not for me. Oh, no, 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 you, no, you don't. No, 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 you don't. No, you're doing just fine. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Philip, uh, best of luck on your tour of Australia. We, um, I'm just going to put it out there, actually. I, I would say to anybody listening to this show anywhere in the world to jump on Philip's website, check out his work, because I, I know I've worked with Philip and I know a lot of people who have had Philip into their business, and that is a very, very valuable investment, regardless of where you are in the world. If people want to look up Philip Hesketh and get more information about you, mate, where do they go? Um, well, Google me, Philip Hesketh. Uh, the two of us come up, to the, the conductor of the London Symphony Orchestra and me. So um, it's, you know, if you don't want a conductor guy. Um, <laughs> uh, so these things is Google me, Philip Hesketh. Or the, my, my website is actually heskethtalking.com. Beautiful. And we will put the link to that in the show notes for you, mate. Right. Um, thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing. Thanks for being so much fun. We, uh, we loved having you on the show and hopefully I will see you on the circuit soon, mate. Yeah, look forward to it. The Mojo Radio Show. So um, although I'm just a lonely little audio engineer sitting away, <laughs> locked away here in my studio, <laughs> I actually do have to go out and sell myself if I want to find work. And can I just tell you, I'm flicking through my journal here and I've written one, two, three and a half pages pages of notes and that's A4 folks. Yeah, he's uh, very good. To be honest with you, we could have had Philip on for an hour and you would have probably doubled the amount of pages because he's just so good. And and the thing is he it's it's all it's all stuff we can use. Like it's Mm. not all theory and it's just absolute practical stuff from a guy who tells it as it is. He collects wonderful stories. And I have to say that um, folks since we since we did that interview with Philip, I have hired two Hertz cars. (laughs) And no, it's a true story, right? I walked out of the day, I was on my way up to uh, Ipswich for the Country Music Festival and I walked out <laughs> and I'd been through the experience and had a big sign up saying, Hertz, the world's number one. And I went, guys, you know, you're just not setting the bar very high. And I, was, you know, I, was all, I almost put out on the social, I thought, oh, it's a bit whingy, bitchy, but I tell you what, mate, 
they do not set the bar yeah, very high right. if they are the number one. There's Maybe you should try Avis. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I try harder. Yeah, that's um, right. Or try hard. <laughs> yeah, he is a very, very, very good guy. We will get mm-hmm. him back on again because it was loads of stuff I haven't even haven't even scratched the surface of his knowledge. So if you, you um, if you want to if you want to find out more about him too, which is something we didn't mention in the um, in the interview is check out his YouTube page because some of this stuff on there where well, I saw while I was doing my research for that interview is um is takeaway in itself, let alone the stuff yeah. we spoke about in there. So um, were you talking about being away listening to your country music and? Wearing your chaps over the weekend made me <laughs> think of them. Um, I didn't say I had chaps on. <laughs> yeah, but that's inferred. <laughs> I, had, I had belt buckle boots and cowboy hat and, uh, you Beautiful. know, the extent of it. Nice. Well, you got me thinking about um, about the playout song this week and, and for some reason my mind went to Farm Aid and from Farm Aid I went to John Cougar Melencamp. I know well, that's a, a bit of a stretch. A there's a jump. But, you know, yep. there you no, go. That's, that's good. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm following you so far. I'm, so hang, look, I'm hanging on. I'm hanging yeah, on to that pony. You're hanging on. Well, listen. I, I want to talk about one of my favourite John Cougar Mellencamp songs, which is um, "Rock" in the USA. Oh yeah, that's a great song. Yeah. So we often talk about um, songwriters being influenced by their peers and and those who have gone before them on this show, and this is another example of that. Um, in, in the um, in the months before recording "Scarecrow," um, John actually made his band learn over 160 songs because he wanted them to be, in his words, immersed in the era of the, the music that he wanted to try and imitate. Um, and in particular, he actually, the, the last song on the album, R-O-C-K in the USA, um, is a tribute to his heroes and the people that he's based his music on. If you listen to it, he mentions them, Jackie Ryder, um, all those guys, James Brown, sure. there's a whole wow. list of them. So, um, so yeah, I thought that was a, a nice little one. And, and, and his final tribute to the era is... Um, for those who aren't in radio, back in the 60s, if you want to just, your song played on the radio, it had to be under three minutes. Anything over three minutes wouldn't get played. So R-O-C-K in the USA comes in at a neat two minutes 54. Yeah, nice. So there you go. I'll tell you, just, uh, as, as a segue before we finish, mm. uh, he was on the Letterman show and Dave Letterman used to smoke and gave it up. Yes. And Dave Letterman loved cigars. Mm. And John came out, was being interviewed and Letterman said, could I... Uh, could I smell cigarette smoke coming from the green room? Because, you know, it's a non-smoking room. Mm. And Mellencamp just looked at him guilty and he said, didn't you have, and Letterman said to him, didn't you have some major medical issues? And the doctor said to you, John, give up smoking. Mm. And Mellencamp in this beautiful gravelly voice said, Dave, one of my roadies did some calculations recently and at two packets a day for my life, I've smoked 250,000 cigarettes. <laughs> he said, day. the doctor may have told me to give up, but that's not what I heard. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, man, there's a guy who's just living his life and not, yeah. for, not for one minute do I say it's the right thing to do smoking. No. It's, it's, it's going to kill him, how sadly. But however, he's so just... Single-minded. Single-minded, disregarding what other people say. I mean, there is a lesson in that, but the lesson is don't smoke, but use that tool in a better way. Um, And it's interesting. He comes from Indiana, so he's he's actually north of the Mason-Dixon line, which makes him sort of north, although there's some debate about where he comes from. But Mm. there's a massive influence now of southern rock going Mm. through country around the world. Mm. And it just occurred to me that... Uh, an audience that we don't often think about or send a shout out to is the truckies, the truck drivers who yeah. keep every country of the world going, particularly in our friends in America. Mm. Uh, the truckers really keep countries moving with what they do and how hard they work on the road. They're in the trucks for 10, 12 hours at a time, 14 hours at a time. Mm. 
a lot of them listen to podcasts and I actually met a trucker up at Ipswich at the Country Music Festival on the weekend to listen to the show. Big shout out to the boys in the trucks and uh, keep us moving. Mm. Put a bit of Southern Rock on, a little bit of Mojo Radio Show. Hope it keeps it gets you pumped up and keeps you moving, guys. And uh, I reckon we should finish a bit of Melon Camp. What do you reckon? I reckon we should and probably R-O-C-K in the USA, I'd say. We're out. Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at the Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see GaryBurtWhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out VoodooSound.com.au and for the right voice, RealtimeCasting.com. Andrew Peter speaking. See you next time.